Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Welcome, welcome. Um, new faces in the room, welcome. My name is Russell. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are a community of faith that believes no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. And we work really hard uh, to make those not just words, um, but to make it, to, to live it out in action. So we know that some of you have walked through these doors today and you feel full of faith. And we know some of you walk through these doors and you feel very skeptical. And both of you, we're so grateful you're here. Bring your full self. Don't feel like you need to hide any of it. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, we're in a series, a very short series on Advent. Uh, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means the coming. Uh, this is the season of the um, Christian's calendar where we celebrate the plot twist of all plot twists, the author who writes himself into the story. Now that's not necessarily unique. What is unique is the manner by which the author has written himself into the story. Um, he didn't just write himself, the, the almighty God, the all-powerful God did not write himself into his world of space-time as a powerful ruler, which we would expect, right? That makes sense to us. He wrote himself into the story as a helpless, dependent, vulnerable infant. He subjected himself to the same process of birth and creation that the rest of us are subjected to, which already starts to demonstrate um, the character of this God, of this author, uh, his vulnerability, his love, um, and it is the, the plot twist of all plot twists. Now, it's rightly called, we call it the season of Advent, because seasons help focus our attention on certain elements of the world that need to be called out. Um, so as Anna rightly said, during winter, we either recognize that we have hard hearts or soft hearts, you know, one or, one or the other. It is a season of stillness. It's a season of solitude. It's a season of quiet. During spring, we recognize uh, that it's a season of resurrection, season of new birth. And last week, Anna, uh, I heard, did an awesome job. Did Anna do a good job last week? Now you see what I get to live with. She's awesome. Um, she talked about how Advent is a season of comfort. And we talked, well, I'm sorry, no, season of waiting. <laughs> Spoiler right there. Uh, <laughs> Advent's a season of waiting. And she talked about the various ways, uh, what it means to wait for something, and, and might have been a little shocking for some of you, um, that we can wait with anger, that we can wait with bitterness, that we can wait not really believing it's going to happen. Um, but that's all in the text. It's all in the text. God gives us permission to wait like that. And today, we want to talk about how Advent is a season of comfort. What do we mean by that when we say Advent is a season of comfort? So for our text today, we're going to read from Isaiah again just sometimes called the fifth evangelist, the fifth gospel, because there are so many um, prophetic threads, and especially as it relates to the Messiah, that sort of find crystal clear representation in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn it to Isaiah 40, or your smartphones, or we're just going to have it up there. So lots of options, no excuses to not read along with us. Isaiah 40, we're going to read verse 1 through verse 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, 
proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sons. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. We join me in prayer. Father, I pray for stillness. Our hearts are very loud and we live in a society that is very loud. Sometimes it's so loud that we can't hear the gentle whisper of your story. That the almighty God, the creator God, would write himself into his story as a baby. That is staggering. Lord, I, uh, I don't know every heart in this room. I don't know what people are struggling under. I know this season can be really difficult for a lot of people. So I pray for the people in here who are, who are struggling, who are anxious and depressed and sad. Would you sit with them? Would they know that they have a God who loves them? Would they know that they have people beside them who loves them? Would they know they're not alone? As we consider your text today, your prophetic text, Lord, about what does it mean when we say that Advent is a season of comfort? What type of comfort? Would you open our hearts and speak to us? For this next bit of time, would you alone be the voice that is heard? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we read Isaiah 40. And maybe a question is, well, how does that speak about comfort? Um, where was the comforting element in there? And before we answer that, a bit of an aside, um, because this is going to be a guiding metaphor to help us out today. I want to talk about fractals. Who's excited to learn about fractals? Yes. See, I, I told Anna um, a couple days ago, I was like, babe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use fractals as like a guiding metaphor for our sermon. And she goes, oh, you mean those things that Kristen Wiig and Ellen DeGeneres sang about from the Let It Go and, and the Frozen song? And I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, what? And, and I'm like, babe, I wasn't really gonna talk about that. I was just gonna really mention, I think people would be 
interested in fractals. And she's like, you don't know people very well. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I'll just take my chance, you know? So uh, between the two of us, I, I get excited about the hypostatic union. Anna gets excited about the vampire diaries. No matter what you're excited about, we're going to be there. We're going to be on your team. Um, we're going to talk about fractals today. And it'll make sense how they come into play. So what is a fractal, you might be asking. Well, this is a fractal. It's a geometric figure, each part of which has the same statistical character as the whole. Fractals are useful in modeling structures such as eroded coastlines or snowflakes. That's why it was in Let It Go, I'm guessing, putting it together. In which similar patterns recur at progressively smaller scales. And in describing, uh, fractals are also useful in describing partly random or chaotic phenomena such as crystal growth, fluid turbulence, and galaxy formation. Sort of distilled down layman's terms, a fractal are sort of patterns of chaos. Uh, when you look at sort of the geometric figure, it's a nonlinear geometric figure that seems chaotic, but you actually start discerning when you sort of zoom out or magnify in, you start discerning a pattern. So we have some pictures as examples. I know pictures are good. That's a fractal right there. It sort of feels chaotic, but then super, super magnified, you recognize that there's a pattern in place. Patterns of chaos, ordered chaos. Uh, mountains are fractals. So mountains, you sort of see this pattern, this branching pattern of mountain ranges. Leaves, leaves are fractals. You really magnify in and you sort of see this similar pattern. It feels chaotic, but you actually start studying it and turning it over and you discern there's an order there. There's some other pictures. Snowflakes, <laughs> great example, especially on a day like today. That was unplanned. Um, and then you sort of magnify into the snowflake and you see it's the same pattern. So a fractal, no matter if you zoom out, magnify in, no matter if you slice it up, you see the same statistical character. Isaiah 40, I want to contend today, is a fractal about comfort. About comfort. There's a reason why prophets, uh, another word for a prophet is a seer. You may have heard that, S-E-E-R. Or you might say a seer, one who sees. Because where we see chaos, Isaiah discerns a pattern. Where we see chaos, Isaiah sees comfort. And so in Isaiah 40, what I think is going on, it's not necessarily a linear progression of his thinking. Rather, there's a logic to comfort here. <clears throat> there's a picture that he's painting about comfort. Not necessarily a resolution, but you keep turning it. You keep beholding it. You keep chopping it up. And you see the pattern again and again and again. So what is this? The fractal of comfort, where we see chaos, Isaiah sees comfort. Well, the passage opens and we hear comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her, her hard service has been completed. Her sins has been, have been paid. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That first line, comfort, comfort, oh my people. In the Hebrew, that word comforts uh, in the PL form which basically means it's just a really intensified form. So God's speaking with emphasis. We don't really have a, a, a way of doing that in English other than an exclamation point. So if you see an exclamation point, you know to read this as like, 
really excited. That's sort of what's going on. God's like, comfort, comfort my people. But it's also in the imperative form. It's a command. So he's commanding someone to comfort. We don't know who though. Who's he commanding? It's as if he's speaking this word of comfort over his people. We just sang a song where we sang over and over, you are good, you are good. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's a little less dramatic in the end. <laughs> you are good. We're speaking that over and over. You are good, you are good. God is beginning, the voice that arises, this voice of comfort is saying comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And what is this comforting word? Her hard service is completed. Mala sava is the Hebrew there. Mala means to be fulfilled, to be done, to be finished. But interestingly, sava, it means host or an army. So Isaiah is kind of being a poet here. He's being abstract a little bit. It's as if he's saying um, her war, her army, her host is filled, it's completed. Or my translation, don't quote me on this, this is probably very poor, but I think it's, it's, it parallels with what Isaiah's trying to do. Her violence is done. Comfort, oh comfort my people. Her violence is completed. Because is not violence the ultimate chaos? Is it not? When we look at the history, we look at our own lives. Violence doesn't make any sense a lot of the time. Brother rises against brother. And for what? Many times we can't explain. I don't know if you ever had this happen to you. Sometimes Anna and I will be having a conversation. Neither of us are angry at one another. And then slowly as the conversation unfolds, we realize that we're angry at one another. Like what, what, how, how did we get there? And we try to trace back the, the, the linearity of our conversation. Like where did we say something wrong such that we feel this violence toward one another, this, this dissonance? I don't know. It's just there. Is not violence this ultimate chaos? Even violence in our very self. We have this dissonance in our self where it doesn't make sense. It isn't fully right. Well, Isaiah says it's come to an end. Savah malah. The violence is done. Her guilt is satisfied. Jerusalem's guilt. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now you might be wondering, how is that comforting? What is the comfort Isaiah sees? That you've been punished and you've received a double punishment. Are you comforted yet? But I think where we see chaos, we see punishment. Isaiah sees that comfort is the kiss after the sin. Isaiah sees comfort is the kiss after the sin. Some of the most intense forms of comfort I've ever felt is when I've wronged Anna in some way. I've been prickly, I've said an unkind word. Um, I've revealed a jagged edge of my soul and I've cut her, right? I'm sure we can all relate. And then there's a period where she's distant, where she's not sure, she's hurt. And then what happens? After a period of time, she forgives me. It, at least that's what's happened thus far. <laughs> we reconcile. And the pain and the anger gives way to an embrace, to a kiss. And I know she's forgiven me, we're reconciled. And in that moment, the comfort that washes over me, knowing I'm in the wrong, knowing this was my mistake, but that she has forgiven me, is unlike anything. 
I've experienced. See, what's going on is the ugly gives way to kissing. And that's really what our hearts all wanna know, isn't it? We, we wanna be loved by others, but we don't wanna be loved at our best. We wanna be loved at our worst, don't we? We wanna be loved at our worst. We, but it's, it's ironic because we live lives that sort of show our best face. We don't allow people in to see our worst, but that's really what we're asking. The classic Lana Del Rey song, will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful? right? That's what our souls are all asking. There's no O at the end of that line, luckily. (laughs) That's what our souls are all asking. Not will you love me when I'm working hard, um, I'm doing well, um, I'm young and beautiful, but when I'm old, when I'm providing nothing to society, when I am broken, when you see the jagged edges in me, will you still choose me? right? And Isaiah says from God, yes. (laughs) Yes, I will. Uh, The other day, Anna and I were filming a wedding and the father was giving a toast about his daughter. His daughter was getting married. Um, And he was telling the story um, at the rehearsal dinner. Um, It happened in the church uh, where, uh, where he and his wife had met 40 years prior. Um, and he goes, he walked into the nave of the church and no one was there except for his wife before, before the rehearsal. Um, and they caught eyes. And he goes, in that moment, uh, as he and his wife caught eyes in the nave where they had met 40 years ago, and now their daughter was gonna get married in that very church, they both just started breaking down and crying. He goes, it was the most intense and poignant sense of, of comfort, of intimacy I had ever experienced with my wife. Why? Why? Because what is he seeing when he looks into her eyes in that moment? He's seeing the last 40 years, isn't he? He's seeing all those painful nights. He's seeing the fights. He's seeing the moments where they're wondering, is this going to work? He's seeing all of that. He's seeing their daughter raising her, crying over her, fearing for her, letting her go. He's seeing all of that in that moment and in this moment of ecstasy. When they lock eyes, they know what they've shared for the last 40 years and the comfort that washes over. That's what Isaiah sees too. He knows life is hard and he knows a lot of it's our doing. We've made it hard on ourselves, but Isaiah says there's gonna come a day when the chaos of the violence gives way and you're gonna receive the kiss of your God and the comfort that's gonna wash over you will be unlike anything you've experienced. Where we see the chaos of pain, Isaiah says, oh, but the comfort that comes when you are forgiven and kissed at the end. And so we magnify the fractal again. And another voice emerges, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now this might sound foreign to us, this, this whole idea of high hills being flattened, valleys being raised in, sort of this, this equalizing, this reset of the natural world. But for Israelite readers, for Hebrew readers, they would know exactly what it's referring to. It's referring to this concept, uh, maybe you've heard it before, uh, the year of Jubilee. Anyone ever heard of the year of Jubilee? 
So the year of Jubilee is a fascinating and staggering concept, so far as we can tell, unique to the Israelite people. And it basically is this. So every seventh cycle of seven years, so every 50th year, um, throughout the Israelite kingdom, um, everything resets. Everything resets. So all business deals go back. They're, they're canceled out. Um, so I think we put up there, uh, if you acquired land, so the way it worked uh, when the Israelite people entered into the promised land, there were 12 tribes. And within those tribes, there were hundreds and hundreds of families. And each of the families and the tribes were apportioned a, a section of land in the promised land, except for the Levites, because they were the priests. Um, so throughout the 50 years, you're, you're doing business. You're living life. Uh, some people get really lucky. Some people get very unlucky. It's the nature of, of living in this world. And so land is bought and sold, and some families become poorer, and some families become richer. Um, and servants are sold to settle debts. And at the end of the 50th year, with the year of Jubilee, it's all reset. So I don't know if you catch this, but no matter how well you did, it all goes back to the original person. It's like in our modern day, say our families were working hard, you're working hard. It's, it's the cricket and the grasshopper, right? No, the ant and the grasshopper, whatever that fable is. The one who's really lazy and just plays, and this is a caricature, but just plays, and the one who works super hard and invests and like is putting in the hours, and you would expect to happen, what happens? The grasshopper or whoever, the ant, the ant does really well, and the grasshopper's like, what do I do? Well, if they were Hebrew ants and Hebrew grasshoppers, in the year of Jubilee, it'd all be canceled. It wouldn't matter. None of it would matter. And you're thinking like, what is this? What is this? Well, God would say it's called the injustice of grace. It's the injustice of grace. No matter how hard you worked, no matter how vigorously you saved, or no matter how vigorously you did not save, it all goes back. Well, then you ask the question, well, why work? Why did God even command Israelites to work? Well, it is 50 years. That's a long time. You got to do something. But maybe what he's trying to say is work isn't worth dying for. Maybe there are more important matters about what it means to be my people than work and grace. Maybe it's recognizing that both people received a gift of the land. No one has a right over it. I love the way Brennan Manning talks about grace. He says, grace means that in the middle of our struggle, the referee blows the whistle and announces the end of the game. We are all declared winners and sent to the showers. It's over for all huffing, puffing piety to earn God's favor. It's finished for all sweat-soaked straining to secure self-worth. It's the end of all the competitive scrambling to get ahead of others in the game. Grace means that God is on our side and thus we are victors, regardless of how well we have played the game. We might as well head for the showers and the champagne celebration. So you're saying it doesn't matter how well you play the game. According to God, no. <laughs> I remember I learned this lesson in high school. Um, I got serious about my faith at age 14. I realized that following Jesus was gonna be an all or nothing type of thing. And I got serious. And so I, I devoted myself 
to spiritual disciplines. I prayed, I read scripture, I fasted, I, I tried to do all the things I saw in scripture to, to pursue the Lord because I delighted in the Lord. And I had friends who were in my youth group in high school who called themselves Christians and did none of those things. And I remember, I still remember one time during a worship service, my friend who I knew well, and I knew how he treated people in school and I knew, um, I knew what he was doing on Friday and Saturday nights. I was a very judgmental person back then, but that's the point kind of. I knew and I saw him at this youth service and I saw him in tears having an encounter with Jesus and I got furious. I said, God, are you kidding me? This guy? I know you've been with him in the school hallways. He doesn't care about you and you're just raining your love on him right now? Yes. So everything I'm doing it's not earning your love anymore. No, <laughs> you're both my child. You're both were given life by me. You both have equal um, merit to my love, which is to say zero merit. It's all grace. It's the injustice of grace. It's my contention as well, and this is a bit of an aside, that people, your friends, reject Christianity because we Christians, we try to make grace just, don't we? We try to put a scorecard to it and we say, this is why some people get love from God and this is why others don't. When the fact of the matter, I don't care where any of y'all came from last night, we all have absolutely zero cause and reason to be standing before our God, but that he has invited us all and said, you're my child, come on. And you will receive grace. I'm reminded of a story where a, a woman um, who's a, a queen, she, it's, it's a mythical tale, it's fiction, um, but she ends up dying and she goes to meet the gods. And it's told by a Christian author, so think God, because um, we're monotheists. But uh, she goes to meet the gods and she, she finds out that, um, that the gods are like really gracious and, and they're letting in people into their presence that she would have never let into their presence. And, and she says to her tutor, she goes, who was already dead, she goes, wait, are the gods not just? And, and her tutor laughs and goes, oh no, child. Can you imagine if they were, right? Can you imagine if we got what we deserved? See, the, the injustice of grace is we don't get what we deserve, none of us. We get life in abundance, we get the living God and none of us deserve it. See, when we return, when, when, when the mountains are brought low and when the valleys are, are, are lifted in and it's all one plane with one highway headed out to our God. And when we return side by side with, with the narcissist and the adulterer and the saint and the mother and the king and the child and the rich and the poor. And we all know that none of us, no matter how we played the game, None of us have any right to be making this trek to meet our creator. Then, then we will understand in that full comforting sense, the injustice of grace. When you recognize that Mother Teresa standing side by side with the narcissistic tyrant, both don't deserve to stand in the presence of Jesus. 
That is the gospel, just FYI, for anyone here who doesn't call themselves a follower of Jesus. And you're like, what is this Christianity? Mother Teresa and the narcissistic tyrant both don't, stand, don't deserve to stand before God. But God has said, you're all winners if you want to be. You're a winner. Does that comfort you? That, that comfort, that's the injustice of grace. And the fractal turns and another voice. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Interestingly, when it says the faithfulness is like the flowers of the field, that word faithfulness is hesed, which means steadfast love. You see that word has said attributed to God constantly throughout scripture, constantly. You don't see it often attributed to us. Why? Because we're not very faithful. That's the point. We kind of wither and fall. But yet where we see the continual failings of humanity, where we see our faithlessness over and over and over again, Isaiah sees the comfort of the faithfulness of God that his word never fails. Another voice, turn the fractal. Get yourself up to a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Jerusalem, bearer of good tidings. Lift it up, do not be afraid to say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Notice for the first time, there's a transfer of voices. It started with God saying, comfort, comfort, O my people. Speak tenderly to who? To Jerusalem. She's forgiven, her sins are paid for. And now what's happened here? The voice says to Jerusalem, lift up your voice. See, every time we turn the fractal, another voice is calling out and telling us something about comfort. But we've turned it so much that that voice is now our voice. It's been transferred to us, we are Jerusalem. We are Zion. You who have come to the end of the painful season, the season of violence, Lift up your voice. You who have experienced the injustice of grace, lift up your voice. Comfort was spoken over you. And now that comfort is inside of you that you get to speak out. And almost anticipating our response, the voice says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Say, behold your God. Don't even think about you. That's the point. It's not about you at all. Behold your God. Behold your God. And now our voice is proclaiming, the fractal turns. Behold, the Lord comes with power and he rules with a strong arm. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. As a shepherd to his flock, he will pastor. With his arm, he will gather the lambs and in his lap, he will nurse them and lead them. Where we see the chaos of a strong arm, Isaiah sees the pattern of the arm of a shepherd who perhaps is harsh and stern in moments, but is trying to gather us in and lead us and nurse us. The fractal of comfort, this ordering of chaos, the comfort is when pain gives way to forgiveness and sin gives way to a kiss. The comfort is when the unjust game gives way to true grace, where hills are toppled and valleys filled in. The comfort is that our faithlessness, your faithlessness will fade 
but God's faithfulness towards you will never fade. The comfort is that you and I are told to take up this cry, cry out comfort, bring good tidings to the world. Don't be afraid, say here is your God. The comfort is the Lord comes like a shepherd and where we see a strong arm, it's in fact the tender arm of a shepherd gathering us in. Why do we read this text at Christmas? You might be wondering. Because this is a very common text um, to be read in the season of Advent. Why do we read it at Christmas? Well, 800 years later, from the time Isaiah writes this, the voices of this page will materialize. The fractal of comfort will sort of come alive and take an embodied form. A woman will conceive. Her name is Elizabeth. She's very old. And in her will be a son told to name him John. And his father's voice will cry out about him. You, my son, you'll be a prophet for the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his highway in the desert. Notice the words. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his highway in the desert to give light to those who sit in darkness. And this woman, Elizabeth, she's very old. She's been barren her whole life. Notice in this time, a woman's only function was to have children. So her entire life, she has been defined by what she's not. She's not a mother. What are you, Elizabeth? She knows the pain of a life of stairs, of being looked at. And then in her old age, to be given a child, to receive the kiss after the life of pain. Elizabeth's voice cries out and testifies to this comfort. And then later, John, John, who Elizabeth gives birth to, he will be one in the desert. And it will be said about him that his voice, that he is the one who came in the name of the Lord to prepare the way. And he'll cry out, repent, repent, and all from Judea will come to him, the high and the low. And they will all go out to him and be baptized into the same waters and receive the injustice of grace. John's voice cries out about the injustice of grace and the comfort therein. Another woman, she'll also conceive. And she's a cousin of Elizabeth. But her conception will put her in tremendous duress because it won't come from a man, it'll come from the Holy Spirit. And she'll be scared saying, well, I don't, what is this? <laughs> I'm gonna be in trouble. But she'll say to the angel who gives her this news, may the Lord do as he pleases. Mary's voice will also testify to the comfort, knowing that though our faithlessness remains, the word of God endures forever. He is faithful. And she'll give birth to a son and she'll name him Jesus, and she'll lay him in a manger, and he will have his own story about comfort. He'll also know about the kiss that comes after the pain. He definitely knows about the injustice of grace. But she'll lay him, on this night at least, she'll lay him in a manger, and suddenly there'll be angels in a field, and they'll show up to these shepherds, and this angel will start speaking out of nowhere. And do you know what the angel will say? Don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings 
of unimaginable joy that will be for all people, for born to you this day is a savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And then added to his voice or to the angel's voice will be a multitude and a multitude, a heavenly host, we're told. Host, tzava, the same word we heard about in Isaiah. The season of violence of that tzava is over. Now we have a tzava of thanksgiving, of adoration. And this host will sing, behold your God, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among us whom he favors inexplicably. He favors us. And then the angels, they will give and transfer their voice over to the shepherds and the shepherds will go and see the child and the mother and Joseph and they'll return glorifying and praising God. They will join their voice to the voice and all will cry out friends, Elizabeth and Zachariah and John and Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds, they'll cry out comfort, comfort oh my people. A savior has come, cry out, lift your voice. Grace is unjust, yes, yes it is, of course. Lift your voice, let it be unjust. And the pattern, no matter how many times you turn the fractal over and over and over again, it's always there. Though we are faithless, he is faithful. Though we sin and we fall over again, though the violence remains, yet there is a kiss to come because our God has not abandoned us. He's entered into the world. He's pleased He's pleased. He has come and you don't have to be afraid anymore. In the middle of the game, the Savior steps in, says game's over. You all win. You all win. Will you pray with me? Father, I I realize even as I attempt to explain the magnitude of this glorious news. I can't do it justice because it hasn't fully sunk into the depths of my soul yet. Who is this God? Lord, who are you that is so gracious to the world that has left you, that's abused you, That's abused your people, your creation. We abuse one another. How do you keep responding with grace and with love? Who is this God who is so humble that you would come as a child in absolute vulnerability and dependence upon us, faithless us, We look around, Lord, and it's so easy to see chaos. Will you give us the eyes of Isaiah to see the comfort of your good news? Would you give us the eyes of your son, Lord, to look around at this world in pain and suffering and injustice and to say, behold, your God comes. Would you give us the courage to put our hand to the plow, to work, not because we think our work is gonna change the world, 
but because we know the world's already been changed in your son and we testify to that by our work. Lord, for the hearts in this room who are in pain, who are lonely, who are stressed, who are afraid, would you give us the eyes to see, to look around at the storm and feel almost from the bottom up fearlessness. Not because of our own merit, but because you say, behold your God. Look at the story. Listen to Zechariah. Listen to Elizabeth. Listen to Mary. Listen to the angels. Look at the shepherds. Turn it over and over in your hand. And slowly it'll dawn upon you. The inexplicable love of our author. Give us eyes to see that. Lord, if there's anyone here who's exploring you, exploring your story, would you give them eyes and give them a heart that says, okay, Jesus, I don't know who you are fully, but I do know that this is something so compelling. I'm going after it. Meet me. And then we can meet them, Lord. For those who are wondering, what's the next step? Would you give them that next step, Lord? Who are coming to the end of a painful season, would you give them that kiss? Lord, I'm so grateful for this family that you're building. I'm grateful for every single person in this room. Though I don't know them fully, you do, Holy Spirit. Speak to them and tell them that you know them and that you're pleased with them. You are so delighted in them. And then will you transfer that voice into us, Lord, that we can go out to our workplaces, to our neighbors, and express that same delight express that same love. As you say, those living in darkness have seen a great light. That was us. Let us go out. Lord, thank you for this people. Thank you for the work you're doing and thank you that you're faithful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.